0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. I don't think I will ever own a vanity plate on My car unless someone purchases it for me, but I have noticed a couple recently that have stuck out to me, and I have a couple of illustrations for you right now. I think this one must have belonged to either a police officer or judge. Okay, yeah, you following along? This one was definitely a Star Wars fan. Some of the slower readers laugh later. This one uh, belongs to a a very fancy car. Okay. Some of you groan. grown. Uh, This one belongs to somebody with a superiority complex. High and mighty is what it... (laughs) This one belongs to somebody who maybe should have an inferiority complex... Smart is spelled wrong. That's, uh, this one belongs to a single person apparently looking for companionship. This, this one belongs to somebody who is soon to be single looking for companionship. And then this is what we're going to talk about today, God's gift, except we're going to spell gift without the I, vanity plate style, G-F-T. Today we're going to talk a little bit about money, what the Bible says about money. Now there are lots of verses in the Bible, in fact you'd be surprised to know how many verses in the Bible talk about money, what we should think about it what we should do with it, how we should view it, how we should use it. And it's just over and over and over again, discussions about our stuff, commands about material wealth. You'd be surprised that Jesus talked more about money than he talked about heaven or hell. Uh, he talked about it a lot. The, the scripture is just overrun with verses about money. And I believe it probably has a lot to do with this is, this is a true fact. How you view your wealth and how you spend the wealth has a lot to say about your own spiritual maturity. And that's kind of scary to hear, but how you view wealth and how you spend your wealth has a lot to say about how you view your own spiritual maturity. Today, we are going to try to reshape our minds around a truth that God owns everything. And he has given it to us as a gift to use. First part is God owns everything. And we're going to look at GFT, God's gift to us. And those words are going to stand for growth, fellowship, and trust. Let me pray for us before we open up the scripture. God, I ask that you would reshape our thinking today around your thinking. Lord, would you allow us to examine our finances over the next several weeks and compare what you say we should be thinking about and using our finances for comparing to what we actually think about our finances and use us for. And then, Lord, we're asking for help. Would you allow your Holy Spirit to continue to transform us to take on the character of Christ? Would you allow the Holy Spirit to change us using the tool of the Word that you give us To transform our thinking. And from that thinking, Lord, would you transform who we are as people. It's in Jesus' name we are. It's in Jesus' name that we are, that we have our being, and that we pray. Amen. God owns everything. This is so hard for us to wrap our minds around. A lot of times we get into trouble because we start thinking what God has given us is ours. Or we even have a worse way of thinking. We start thinking that what we have, we have earned by ourselves without anybody else's help. Help. But to to come to this conclusion and come to this thinking— We have to have this mindset that God owns everything, and it goes all the way back to the beginning. I mentioned before that the Bible talks a lot about wealth, and sometimes indirectly. If we go all the way back to the beginning, it says in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. If we just stop there, we can learn a lot about life and ourselves. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, there was no us. There was no work. There was no wealth. There was no time. There was no Material, there was no space. God created time, He created space, and He created stuff. In the beginning, God. And then it finishes that sentence In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, God created everything. If you were to design an art piece, and then you were the one who performed the artwork, you would claim that art as your own. You'd probably even put your name on it. And then, because it's so good, and we're dreaming here, it's worth a million dollars, you'd sell it for a million dollars. Beautiful piece of art. Well, since God created everything, it's almost like He's put His signature on everything on earth. It's His. He owns it as the as the israelites were coming out of slavery in egypt they had to be retrained to think about what who and what god is and and because the egyptians had gods for everything and even pharaoh called himself a god and so as they left egypt they had to be retrained they were creating a nation and so god gave them The kind of the constitution for their nation in the Ten Commandments and in the book of Exodus and in the five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy called the story or the Torah. And it involved laws. And some of those laws were given as warnings. Some of them were given as judgment. And some of them were given as how to live. And there was a warning even Moses gave to the Israelites as they came out of Egypt. And they were relearning who God is. And it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8. By the way, we're going to go through a lot of different sections of Scripture today because the Bible has a lot to say about the money all the way through. But in Deuteronomy 8, Moses warns them. It's, this is a warning from God. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth, and so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your ancestors as it is today. There was a warning for the Israelites. As they went into their new land, the new promised land, they would be in a place that God had already prepared for them. When they got to the promised land, He said, If you trust me, I'm going to drive out your enemies, and then you're just going to take over where they were. So if they had produced good crops, you get their crops. If they had produced nice homes, you get their homes. If they have lots of cattle and lots of uh, animals around, and you go in and capture the city, those animals become yours. But there's a danger. When you acquire all this wealth, you're going to start looking around and say, look at what I've done. And God says, don't forget that it was I who set that up for you. God owns everything. If we can wrap our minds around this, we're going to have spiritual growth. God cares more about your holiness than He does your happiness. He cares more about the wealth of your integrity than He does about the wealth of your checkbook but we have to start at the beginning. The Bible talks a lot about money, and and next week we're going to talk about what to do with your finances, but if we don't start here at the beginning and realize who owns our finances, it doesn't matter what kind of budgets we give you. It doesn't matter how we instruct you to be careful in saving and careful in generosity and careful in wealth, because if you think it's yours and don't think it's God's, it doesn't matter what budget is given. We have to go back to God owns everything. Imagine, imagine the brightest five-year-old kid around who takes the piece of paper and takes the crowns and does produce a masterful piece of art for a five-year-old. Well, everybody oohs and awes over the five-year-old's talent. Everybody oohs and awes over the picture. And the parents, they hang it on the refrigerator and they tell their five-year-old daughter what an incredible artist she is. And she probably is. But where did she get the crowns? Parents gave her the crowns. Where did she get the paper? Well, the parents gave her the paper. If a kid is producing art, they probably have their belly full because they're comfortable enough to sit down and draw instead of worrying about where the next meal is going to come from. Where did they get the meal? Parents provided the meal. Parents provided the shelter. That gave them the confidence and courage and, and comfortability to sit down and do art. Why are they drawing art instead of working for their survival? Well, because their parents gave this child the ability to be comfortable. Where did the child get the talent to do artwork? Well, it was a combination of mom and dad. A little bit of, a little bit of the way she was raised and a little bit of natural ability. Well, that all came from their parents. A five-year-old probably is not mature enough to understand that she owes everything, everything she has, everything she is, and everything she has done to her parents. And we look at that five year old and say, that five year old's just not mature enough to understand. And then what do we do with our own wealth? Well, I raised this crop. Well, who grew the crop? God makes things grow, we don't make things grow. Well, I planted the seed. Well, where'd you get the seed from? God produced plants that made seeds. Well, I planted in the dirt. Where did you get your dirt from? There's an old preacher story that goes where scientists finally figured out they could get rid of God. They had mastered the ability to create life, and they had figured out the primordial soup where they had combined the right amount of electricity with the right amount of soil, and they could produce living organisms. And they said to God, let's have a contest to see who can produce life, and we think we can match you life for life and they get ready to start the competition. They gather around the table. They have all the apparatus, and God says, that's fine, but you got to use your own dirt. God created the dirt. God creates life. God owns everything. And this includes our wealth. This includes our ability to make wealth. This includes our ability on what we do with our wealth. God owns it all. We have to wrap our minds around this new way of thinking. In Romans chapter 12, now it, it, you wouldn't think it's talking about money, but it is talking about money. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have to renew our mind in how we think about spiritual things, but money is spiritual things. Wealth is spiritual things. We have to renew our mind around that. And there are some weird lies we believe about money. I've always said that money can't buy happiness, but I'd sure like to try it out. I've always had that dream, I think you probably have too in your quiet moments, what you would do if you won the lottery. There's a danger there in winning the lottery. Even proverbs in the middle of our Bible it gives a book a little bit of wisdom it says money gained all at once is very dangerous for you. I found this online. Money can buy medicine, but it can't buy health. How many people have ever lived that out before? Money can buy a bigger house, but it can't buy a home. Money can buy acquaintances, would love to spend your money, but they can't buy you friends that will stick with you through thick and thin. Money can buy companionship, but not true love. Money can buy position, but not the satisfaction of knowing that your hard work paid off and that you've earned the promotion you, you received. Money can buy books. I have in my office three or four bookshelves worth of books. Come in sometime and ask me how many of them I've read. Money can buy books, but it can't buy knowledge, wisdom, or experience. Money can buy a life of leisure, but it can't buy purpose, passion, or meaning. Money can buy the latest gadgets to have your kids be happy, but it doesn't necessarily guarantee that they'll be happy. Money can buy toys for your children, but they can't buy well-adjusted children. Money can buy someone's services but not their loyalty. Money can buy thrills and distractions but they can't buy inner peace. Money can buy the trappings of high society but money cannot buy character, integrity, morals, or class. Anybody ever heard of a really, really wealthy man who became president but had no class? Heard of that, right? In fact, just about any politician at the highest level has a lot of money. And they use that money to help advertise their campaign. But it doesn't buy class or morals. And it doesn't buy wisdom. It doesn't buy making right decisions. Anybody following along with me? Are we starting to get this? Where does class, integrity, and moral decisions come from? They come from God. Who owns things? I have several other things that money can buy, but they can't buy. Money can buy extravagant vacations, but it can't buy close-knit family. Designer clothes, but no inner beauty. Money can buy gifts for your significant other, but they can't buy intimacy. That comes from knowing someone really well. Money can buy solutions to problems, but money can't buy you confidence that comes from mastering a new skill or overcoming a challenge. Money can buy expensive tickets to charity events, but it can't buy the feeling that you get when you get out of your way to lend someone a helping hand. Money can buy expensive watches, but what can't money buy? Time. It's good to have money, Greg Lormore says. Good to have money and things that can buy money, but it's good too to check up once in a while, and make sure you haven't lost the things that money can't buy. So, what does God own? God owns, it says, according to twenty-four, one in Psalms, the earth and all it contains. According to the prophet Ezekiel, chapter eighteen, God owns the souls of the people. Haggai, another prophet, in verse. 8 of chapter 2 God owns the gold and the silver. Psalm 50 says, every beast of the forest and every cattle on the hill. First Chronicles chapter 29 says God owns riches and power. And Leviticus chapter 25 it says God owns the land. God owns everything. How do we transform our mind and our thinking to get around this? You know, if you transform your thinking, it affects your feelings. And, you know, thinking and feelings drive behavior. The reason why money and what you do with your money reveals who you think owns it is because your behavior is driven by your thinking and feelings. If you want to know the status of someone's integrity and the status of someone's love for the Lord, all you have to do is look at their expense number from their checking account. And it reveals what you truly feel and think about God and your money. Craig Groeschel, in his book, Winning the War in Your Mind, he says there are pathways that we develop in our thinking that become ruts we get stuck in. And this has everything to do with the way we think, the way we feel, and then the way we act. And to counteract those paths, one, one, just one way, he says, to counteract that fact is to write down the truth. Think about that truth, and that's going to develop a new neural pathway. Confess that truth out loud over and over again. Write it, think it, confess it, write it, think it, confess it, write it, think it, confess it, until you believe it. When you do that with that idea that God owns everything, write it, think it, Confess it until you believe it. If you do that over and over again, what will happen is you'll have spiritual growth. And where did that gift come from of growth? It comes from God, who gave you the brain, who gave you the ability to create new neurological pathways, who gave your brain the ability to change the way it thinks, to honor God with truth. And you'll have spiritual growth As one of the gifts, just another gift that God gives you. God also gives us, using money and the right thinking about money, he gives us what he would call fellowship. Fellowship is an interesting biblical word that appears a lot in the New Testament called koinonia. Koinonia has this idea, it's translated fellowship in a lot of our translations, has this idea of a partnership that we have with God. In the Scripture, David had this prayer when the temple was getting ready to be made. In 1 Chronicles chapter... I mean, excuse me. Was it 1 Chronicles? Let me look it up. Excuse me. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 10 through 20. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, "'Praise be to you, Yahweh, the God of our Father in Israel,' From everlasting to everlasting, yours, Yahweh, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Yahweh, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people? That we should be able to give as gener- generously as this. Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days are like a shadow without hope. Yahweh, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building your temple, for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Yahweh, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And give my son Solomon the whole heart of devotion to keep your commands, statutes, and decrees, and do everything to build the palatial structure for which I have provided. See, David and the people of Israel provided monies to build the temple to God. God said, David, you can't build it, but you can help plan it. I need a man of peace to build it. And the scripture indicates how much the people gave toward this temple. And it was somewhere in the realm of between $200 and $800 billion in today's money. But David recognized where the monies came from. God owned it. And then he prayed for something money cannot buy, the integrity of and the desires of the people. We've all heard the war stories about people who go to church and they're hypocrites and two-faced, and some of us have been hurt by them. That doesn't mean the church structure is bad. It doesn't mean the fellowship of the people is bad. It means you met a bad egg while you were in the fellowship of the people. That's going to happen everywhere. We also know the church member that comes and they give offering, but their heart has never been changed. David says, the money belongs to you, God, and we're going to use it for your glory, but I want what money cannot buy. I want that partnership with you where we have integrity and the desires of our hearts are aligned with your will. I think it'd be a good idea to read and meditate on that prayer out of 1 Chronicles chapter 29. David prays for the people, the nation, and his own children. Something that parents know money cannot buy. When we partner with God, it creates a fellowship, and that is also a gift from the Lord. In Leviticus chapter 20, excuse me, Leviticus chapter 17, this is the craziest thing Leviticus is kind of like the manual for the priests, and it talks about the sacrifices the people are supposed to give to the Lord. And when we think of sacrifices, a lot of times we think of those pagan sacrifices. The pagan sacrifices work like this We have an angry God, and we have to bring him an offering that's going to be good enough to appease the angry God. That is not how the sacrificial system works in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, God is so holy, kind of like the sun. If you get too close to the sun, it burns you up. If you're the right distance away, it gives life and energy. We know how the sun works, right? The sun in our universe. We wouldn't say the sun is bad because if we get close, we burned up. we just say, that's how powerful the sun is. God is so holy. He gives life. He gives everything. But He's so holy, we cannot come into His presence because we would burn up. So there has to be a way to go into God's presence. A life must be given as a representative for somebody to go into God's presence. God established this system. He says, I'm so holy, you have to bring a representative life to take your place so you can come into my presence. And so he provided a system. He said, you're going to provide an unblemished lamb, the best lamb. And if you bring that lamb into my presence, the blood of the lamb, there's life in the blood, the blood of the lamb will pay the cost of being in my presence because of my holiness. And then you'll be able to be in my presence. It's a pretty beautiful system. It's not to appease an angry God. It's a system set up so that we can move into his presence. In Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11, for the life of a creature is in the blood and I, God, have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves at the altar. Who gave the lamb? Who gave the system? Who gave the blood that can be used as a representative? God, God, God. And when we follow his pattern, we end up in a partnership with him, a fellowship. I think it's kind of beautiful that God not only sets up a system that we can move into his presence, but then he provides the sacrifice the offering to be able to move in His presence too. This is beautiful. As we do this more and more often, we not only have spiritual growth, not only have fellowship, a partnership with the Lord who owns everything, but we end up learning how to trust Him too. This is a true gift. Randy Alcorn is an author of over 50 books, and he is a New York Times bestseller. Randy Alcorn used to be a pastor, while he was pastor at church in the 80s, he and his church decided to uh, do silent, peaceful protests at abortion clinics. During that time, he was arrested several times for sitting outside of an abortion clinic. One of those arrests, they, uh, g- he claims this is how it works. I believe him. They had several people come to him, come to the courtroom and declare a lie that while he was protesting, he beat the women as they went into the abortion clinic. His whole group was ordered to pay the abortion clinic for damages. $8.2 million. Right before the day the judge wrote the binding $8.2 million settlement, where the church would have to garnish his wages to pay the abortion clinic, Randy resigned from his position as pastor. And in the state of Oregon, your wages cannot be garnished to pay settlements if you only work for minimum wage, and Randy took a minimum wage job. The abortion settlement was supposed to last 10 years, so Randy and his wife lived off minimum wage for 10 years. About that time, during that time, every book that Randy wrote during the time of the settlement, he gave all the royalties to life-giving places, like New Life Clinic like we have in time in town. And somebody else managed his estate, the royalties from his books. He didn't receive a dime from any of his New York Times bestsellers. They only became New York Times bestsellers after he resigned and decided to live on minimum wage. And he said, I think God was helping us. Near the end of his 10 year settlement, the people who were handling all the money from his New York Times bestsellers came to him and said, Randy, we've been setting a little bit of money aside for you. We've had it in a trust fund, an account, and your settlement's getting ready to come up, and your 10 years are getting ready to be over, and we'd like to give you that money just as a thank you. And it was a pretty substantial amount. Randy and his wife prayed. They went back to their organization. They said, we really appreciate you thinking of us, but we really feel like God is telling us to stay right where we are in minimum wage. God has protected us. He's taken care of us. We never lost our house. Our kids were able to go to school. You know, God has really blessed us, and he, we feel like he's telling us to stay at minimum wage. The next day, the abortion clinic came back to the judge and asked for a stay-of-execution on the amount owed, the judge granted it. They were now another 10 years where they owed $8.2 million. And if he had taken the money from the organization, he would have had to pay the abortion clinic. He said, my wife and I never wanted to give a dime to allow babies to be murdered. 20 years he lived on minimum wage. He said, God took care of us the whole time. Now let me ask you. Do you think Randy Alcorn's trust in the Lord is higher or lower after he got arrested? After he was lied about? After he never received a dime from 20 years of New York Times best-selling books? Higher or lower? His trust is through the roof. He says his organization through his books has now given away over $8.2 million to life-giving organizations. The writ on Randy and his friends that were arrested is now no more. And he has since gotten a better-paying job. But he says it's all owed to the gift he got from God, the spiritual growth from knowing that God owns it all. The fellowship, the partnership of working with God to produce life-giving results everywhere they went. And the trust of seeing God come through with their needs every single time. Randy is an example of someone who took to heart The words of Romans 12. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Randy renewed his mind that God owns everything. So if God gives, God can take away. It all belongs to Him. And truly, He lives gifted. So now we have to ask ourselves, what do we need to do Well, I think, number one, we need to respond to this by trying to retrain our brain that God owns everything. I think we ought to take to heart what Craig Grishel offers in his books. We need to write it down. We need to look for the Scriptures that shows us God owns everything. You can Google it. Google uh, Scripture that describes God owning everything. Several Scriptures will come from Genesis all the way to Revelation that God owns everything. Then you need to write down some of those Scriptures You need to read them out loud, confess them with your mouth. You need to write it. You need to think about it. You need to confess it until you believe it. I think we ought to retrain our brain on what to do with our money because we have to retrain it that it's not ours. When we do that, our thinking and our feeling about money will change and our behaviors will change where we'll have spiritual growth, fellowship with God, and a trust in God that we never had before. It's all things money can't buy. It's all a life that money can't buy. I think the second thing we need to do is we need to submit our hearts right now before we go any further to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we make Him, like Eric said just a minute ago, not only our Savior, but also our Master. Whatever He tells us to do, we will do with our money. One of the ways He gave us to do that is through communion. Would you get out your communion cups? In your communion cup, you'll find a piece of bread and a cup of juice. Would you take out your bread? Jesus says the bread is His body. A sacrifice given for you. Who provided the sacrifice? God did. Who takes away your sin? God does. Where does your sin go? It goes and is absorbed in Jesus' body on the cross so that you can be forgiven and stand declared righteous in God's presence. Would you eat the bread and participate in the body giving thanks to the Lord? God, we praise you. That out of all the sacrifices you own, you sent Jesus Christ to be the offering in our place. Lord, we love how Jesus pays the ransom, what we owe you, the debt we owe. Lord, we love how his sacrifice purifies us as well. We thank you now for the unity we have as brothers and sisters in Christ, the unity we have in Christ, the unity we have in the body of Christ as the body of Christ. And Lord, we're declaring as we participate in communion today that you own us. We have submitted ourselves to you and we are reminded of the oath and the baptism that we experienced through this time of communion. We're reminded of your sacrifice and we praise you. Would you take out your cup? Jesus says this is a cup of the new covenant poured out In my blood. Paul tells us that as the body of Christ, participating in the body of Christ, when we participate in this cup, we're participating in the blood of Christ. The blood that pays our ransom, purifies us from all sin, makes us not guilty and whole. Would you participate in the cup? Lord, as our participation today declares, we are submitting to your authority. Lord, help us to go out of this place and out of this room with the renewed thinking that you own everything, including our lives. Lord, as we wrap our minds around this truth, as we repeat it and confess it and believe it, Lord, would you allow the Holy Spirit to continually transform us in our character to have that integrity, to have that desire to use all that we have in a way that is pleasing and honoring to you. God, thank you for this truthful, beautiful way of thinking. Lord, as we transform our thoughts by your word, by this communion, by the reminder of Christ Would you begin supplying in our life and allow us to see and understand where you have created homes, where you have given our children and make them well adjusted, where you will give us peace over our hearts and minds, where you will give us rest in our sleep, where you will give us a good name in honor of you where you allow others to trust us because we have put our trust in you. Lord, we ask that you would continually transform our character to be like Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have to retrain our thinking. We have to submit our whole life to God. And then I'll leave you with this one thought. The Scripture indicates a lot of times that we should use our money in a way that honors God. I don't believe that all the money that you use to honor God should go to the local church. There's a lot of great organizations. But I believe the majority of the money that you use to honor God should go to a local church that you trust. One like ours, may I mention. We have a financial team and an eldership that takes the offering money that is given for kingdom work and they prayerfully consider how they use it throughout the entire year. They prayerfully consider how much of the offering will go to support this facility, how much of the offering will go to support staff. Staff are on a budget. The staff uh, receive a salary that fits within uh, a compensation package that the elders have chosen. That means none of us will have to buy jets or worry about jet fuel, okay? Because the elders and financial team make sure we're paid the right amount. And that comes out of offering. The elders and financial team have appointed other people in our, within our congregation to make sure a percentage of our offering is going to missions. Over 10% of offering that we receive goes to missions both local and overseas. And they carefully consider where your money is spent. All for God's glorification. All for kingdom growth. All for the desire to make disciples. When we look at the scripture one of the one things that God tells us to do is make disciples. Our money gets to help with that. I think you should choose a percentage of your income to give to kingdom work. And then you should work at transforming your thoughts that God owns it all anyway, and we're just providing Him back the sacrifice to help save somebody else. And that percentage, over time, through your increased generosity, should also increase. This is how spiritual maturity works. This is how understanding works. This is how growth and fellowship and trust, a gift from God, works in our hearts. We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.